Welcome to a new episode of the Highland Bullpen. Hamish has been away hibernating over the winter, uh, but we're we're getting back into things. Looking forward to spring coming along. No more Miguel Cabrera home runs in opening day in the blizzardy snow. Uh, but there's good weather around the corner, even if we're stuck in the UK in the midst of a, a few different storms. It's caused a little bit of havoc with some transportation, with folk doing... Uh, shortish UK flights ending up in Spain, Germany and Paris. Uh, but the bullpen, uh, we're actually we're going to be fairly near Germany, um, but we're making our annual trip over to the Netherlands to watch uh, some classic Dutch football uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, you probably know if you've listened to us regularly that we allocate different responsibilities within the team here. Uh, the key feature quite clearly is uh, where will we find some refreshments whilst we're over in, in Arnhem uh, and there can be no one better to tell us a wee bit about how our social activities are going to be uh, as we go through our three game, three day trip to the Netherlands and then Yorkshire Dave. So what uh, real ale houses and classic Dutch bars serving croquettes have you got in store for us in 2024? Uh, well, I hope I can uh, live up to my reputation. I mean, it, you know, if I wasn't giving you advice, I don't think you would actually sort of <laughs> fail to find somewhere to have a have Ooh. a drink, you know, anything anything like that. But uh, you know, I'm hoping like uh, last time in Zvola, I mean, we had a fantastic time yeah. in the what was it Hector Bray, where um, I think we if we did a bar chart of our time in Zvola. Um, I, yeah, I think that would. Pr- I think I did one, didn't I, for a while back? Seems to remember. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it featured quite prominently in our activity. So um, yeah, so I've been looking in the trusty old uh, um, beer in the Netherlands book, which uh, is written by Tim Skelton. No right. relation that we know of, but um, it, it really is superb and. Um, yeah, although we're spending our time in Arnhem, um, we are going to a game in Nijmegen, aren't we? Um, yes. That, that's Saturday evening, so we might get there, you know, in good time for a few beers before the game, says he. Hopefully, and I'll just quote from the book, Nijmegen, pound for pound, possibly the nation's beeriest place. And there's, <laughs> there's no less than 16 pubs and bars um, mentioned in this guide. Just, yeah. yeah, I'm just saying we don't have to go in the mall, but um, <laughs> but we can make a damn good go of it. Yeah, there, there's a couple that we we sort of need to make a beeline for the blower hand. Sorry, it's a wrong color of hand for you guys. It's uh, the blue hand, but uh, you know <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. 
and the Zaanum itself, where we will obviously be. That's uh, that's our two nights. So um, yeah, there's one or two places that open quite late. You'll be glad to hear on uh, <laughs> Friday and Saturday night. Nothing to do with après ski lodges. Um, I'm afraid, but uh, there's uh, yeah, there's what sounds like uh, a really great classic old brown cafe, the cafe uh, Maisha's, which uh, is open till two a.m. So uh, that, that's you know not too late for us, is it really? And uh, and there's Oss as well, even Oss, a small smaller town, population sixty thousand. And um, birthplace of Ruud van Nistelrooy. Yeah, like two things there, didn't realize Oss was so big. Apparently, it, well, yeah, it's sort of quite, you know, it's a densely populated place, isn't it? And uh, all these towns like Nijmegen yeah. and Arnhem, I think they're both similar sizes, 150, 160,000 um, population. So um, Oss means ox. In uh, in Dutch, and apparently the, the cattle heads appear on the pedestrian crossing lights. So uh, look out for Guinness that. We'll be happy. Yeah, definitely. Aye, very appropriate. We should um, should take our sort of uh, Amish hats with us and get on famously in us. And there's a great, um, what sounds like a great rock music pub there, the Katja, um, which is uh, another old established venue. So, um, yeah, that's my contribution, lads. Um, Dave, you mentioned a term earlier that some of the listeners might not be too familiar with. It wasn't one that I knew until we had our adventures in Amsterdam. Brown bars. So I know that there's a bit more context around that but I found that they were fantastic and it's the type of bars that I would like whenever I'm kind of going out in the UK it's just that we don't have a have a real term for that we tend to call them perhaps old man pubs or <laughs> um, or something a bit more different they're not bars they're a mix between bars cafes pubs yeah but did you have a particular description for those well yeah, you know, I've been to Amsterdam uh, plenty of times, and that's where I first came across them. Um, you know, there's a famous one that we went in last year, the the Hopper, and they tend to be very old, established um, places. You know, the Hopper goes back to something like the 17th or 16th century. They're not all as old as that, but they tend to be inside wooden interiors and um that sort of thing and what happened was because of uh you know people obviously smoked back in the back in the day i'm not talking about you know the 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 coffee shops where there's smoking other stuff but you know cigarettes and it would have been pipes and in the old days wouldn't they and uh consequently pretty much everybody smoked and uh the the you know the wooden interiors at the ceilings would just turn brown over the, the decades and uh i guess that became if they did ever <laughs> redecorate the place then they would tend to do it in that sort of color or varnish so they became known as as brown cafes and 
and and now it's sort of synonymous to me with you know a quality old style establishment where you go there for you know to see a historic bar in a neighborhood somewhere and you know every town will have one and that was um the one in arnhem that was mentioned this cafe managers probably you know they don't have to be that old uh, you know it's only relatively recently that they've stopped banned smoking in pubs and, and uh you know i think uh, they still keep that sort of decor so that's my take on it dave good yeah, i didn't know didn't didn't realize that either so you'll have Listeners will have picked up that the three games we're going to. So Friday evening, Topos uh, in the Erste Divisie. Uh, Saturday evening, NEC, Nijmegen. And on Sunday, Vitesse, Arnhem. Vitesse being speed, Arnhem. So again, listeners will probably realize about the, the Battle of Arnhem, bridge too far. Um, so we'll also be adding into the trip. We, in, in, in my research on Ross County history and part of the blogs we we put up there. The only current Ross County player I've found killed in action uh, in World War II was actually at the Battle of Arnhem, uh, William Fraser. So uh, we, we hope to visit the cemetery and pay our respects uh, when, when we're there as well. Uh, so it's something else uh, important uh, for us to do, to do on the trip. Um, and, and fantastic, the Netherlands, it's so easy to get around. Train tickets uh, secured, flights secured, hotel secured. Um, and we'll get trains and Ubers back and forth to the, those three grounds, which are all in reasonably close proximity. Uh, I'm not sure now, Megan, might be 30, 40 minutes or whatever in the train, but we'll be able to entertain ourselves, as long as we stay out of the silent carriage, which we've made that mistake <laughs> before on a on a trip to the to the Netherlands. So uh, we will, you'll no doubt see one or two pictures on our limited social media account and we'll we'll update you and how we get on in the trip at some other time as well. But uh, so, yeah, and the baseball is coming up and uh, I think uh, Yorkshire, Dave, you, you, you had some questions or a big question about something that's uh, fairly new to the MLB in, in terms of the draft. So, um, we are not necessarily going to answer every minutiae of detail on that here, but I think from from our perspective and a, a lot of our listeners' perspective, it'll be good to get a wee insight here. So, what what is it you were you'd, you'd come across and you were interested in? Yeah, I, I remember last year or possibly even the the year before looking into the draft, and um, you know, it's very interesting. It was reasonably complex then, but. The, the idea was that, you know, in most American sports, the, um, those who finished last the worst can become the best, isn't it? So um, the new talent that's out there in the colleges, um, they are picked by the 30 teams. And uh, in the old system, the first pick would go to the worst performing team uh, in the in the previous season to give them a chance of getting potentially the, the you know the best prospects going but the, the, this year the, you know I'm sure Dave or, or yourself will go into this but this year for reasons that you'll probably explain 
is they've done something slightly different and <laughs> it's sort of uh, the, the, the word i'll use is byzantine for its complexity it's just um you know i couldn't really quite get my head around how it was going but they've introduced a draft a lottery element to it so that the first six picks will not necessarily be decided by the worst teams but um they will introduce an element of luck to the proceedings like um we not a gamble ex exactly exactly but like a draw or a lottery and um so if you were last last season you wouldn't necessarily get first pick so yeah maybe you could put me straight on that um Dave yeah absolutely um, it's interesting good good word usage I always like when you help expand my vocabulary with Byzantine um, I remember I had a two week course of it once from the doctors um, it worked wonders yeah. it was good it was good <laughs> Um, so if you excuse me and I know that you will know this Alan knows this most of if not all of our listeners will know this but it's, it's good to cover things off for uh, new listeners to the podcast uh, one of which my friend Andrew uh, downloaded it recently so it's just a wee shout out for him uh, he's not particularly into baseball but he started listening to the podcast um, anyway I'm sure that people will correct me, but hopefully you can forgive me for being a little bit general uh, with where I'm coming from. The The MLB draft is a system where the 30 clubs uh, can all take on new players. Uh, and Dave mentioned there about colleges, but you can also take players direct from high school as well. Um, so if you think about the UK scene in terms of sports, yeah, there's lots of different avenues to to make your way in particularly football but when it comes to baseball which we'll focus on I'm sure it's similar for the other big sports um, but in baseball you will be drafted if you've reached a, a certain pedigree um, and then put into the farm systems so the youth systems uh, at lower leagues uh, can I think about B teams or under 21s or under 18s amongst football um, you'll You'll find that in baseball and these players then play other players of that level until they're ready to progress their way through the ranks and, and make their way to the show. Um, so that draft takes place every July, usually, um, in and around the, the time of the All-Star game. Um, and it's a it's a big, big event. You know, if you're one of the top prospects in the country, you know, you might be ready, you might be ready to be drafted. <clears throat> and again, it's Unlike football, you don't really get a choice where to go. I'm sure that there's somewhere in the proceedings where you can veto a move, and I, I think that's been done before. But generally, you're just happy to be to make the big time and, and get a contract offer out there. Coming back to Dave's segment of that question, um, to set an order every year. So you've got hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, young men being ready to be drafted to the MLB every year, and you need an order to make sure that kind of takes place fairly. Otherwise, you're just going to have, um, you know, the big ticket teams out there, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, all these guys um, with a bigger wage bill being able to take priority. So you need a way to keep the league even. And over the years, what what the MLB has, has done is that if you are the weakest of the 30 teams that take part every year, the following year, you would then get the top pick. So the idea of that would be if you're a weaker team, 
you can start to add some youth through the ranks um, and potentially become a better team in the future. Whereas your big market teams may then have to settle for uh, players that aren't as good. Now, it very rarely works out. You know, guys, you know, kids that are being drafted, you never really know someone's true potential, particularly if they've been coached to a high degree by, uh, by, by the teams when they make it. But it's just to give teams and players a chance of, of what's going to happen. So I think the worst team in baseball last year were the Oakland A's. And um, historically, what would have happened is they would have had first pick. However, um, there has been a situation in baseball over the years where if you've got a month, two months left to play of the season and you've got no chance of making the playoffs, teams have took that opportunity to what's called tank. And it just means purposely losing games or you may sell off some of your better players. And the hopes of that is that over a couple of years, you can actually build up a real strength and depth at youth level. And in two or three years' time, you've got a cracking team ready to come through. Um, so would that make sense up until this point, guys? I realise that I'm doing a, a lot of talking. That, that does make sense. I think um, I, I understand tanking. I just sort of think as a, as a fan of my team, even if my team isn't going to win anything, I don't want to see them get beat. So how do fans, how do fans react to that? I know it's I think... a slight a side issue. I'm not looking for a twenty-minute dissertation on it, but yeah, it's an odd one. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think it probably doesn't go down too well. Would be the, the opening honest yeah. answer. The, yeah. As I said, the A's were the worst team last year. I think they've probably got the worst relationship between fans and management just now, uh, perhaps for other reasons where the A's are looking to move or are moving to Vegas. I'm never quite sure how that looks just now. Um, but it's not been a good look and players are aware of that as well. So when the old CBA came up, which happens every couple of years, which is, a com I think it's a combined bargaining agreement, takes right. place between the, the players and the union and the MLB and, and all the owners. This was something where the players wanted to address this and say, oh, wow. I don't want I don't want to be part of a team that's going to tank. Yeah. You should have responsibilities as an owner. You know, people talk about a wage cap, a, a salary cap for players, but the players also argued there should be a minimum cap as well. Because if you're an owner, they want you to be putting the money in. They don't want you to have a, a really low budget um, when you can afford to actually be spending money on, on players to have a better team and they felt that a lot of owners were purposefully running with low salary um, wage rules payrolls uh, for years in order to cream money for themselves. Now I don't know how all the, the exact finances work but that seemed to be universally agreed that it's something that is happening or, or was happening in MLB. Um, so this was a way to to try and address that between the players and uh, the the organisations themselves. So what they've done this year um, is they've said that that first pick within the draft wouldn't now automatically go to the worst team. There was going to be a lottery system in place, and the eighteen team, sorry, the eighteen teams who did not qualify for the playoffs. So, if you think about last year, twelve teams make the playoffs, eighteen don't. 
and the 18 teams, depending on their record, would then be afforded a certain amount of lottery balls. So if you think about the old national lottery, you know, <laughs> spinning round, if you were one of the poorer teams, you would perhaps have 10 balls in that lottery. Whereas if you were the Mariners, who were the best team that didn't make the playoffs, you might have one ball. Does yeah. that make sense? So yeah, then uh, if you yeah, were one, looking... Uh, if you were looking that works, because I saw a whole lot of stuff about You've got a different odds, but that makes yes. How do you put odds into a lottery? But then, yeah, why not do it by balls? And yeah, you've got a hundred balls for eighteen teams. Yeah. So, so I think it did come out as as balls, um, and I know it's it's not correct what I'm saying, but it's the right process. Yep. If you were one of the worst teams, you had more balls in the lottery, more yep. chances to come out. Um, whereas if you were the Mariners or the Cubs or the Yankees, um, you had less balls in the lottery. So, um, to give you an idea, the athletics, the oh, Royals. Well said, Dave. Rockies, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I had forgotten that the Yankees failed to uh, make the postseason last year. Well reminded. I, I was expecting a little bit more of a reaction, so I'm glad it, it clicked in. <laughs> um, the, um, so the odds of getting the number one pick this year in the draft for the Athletics, the Royals, and the Rockies, who were the worst teams. The chances of them getting the first pick were 18.3%. So quite high. You're almost like a one in five chance of each of them getting that pick. Whereas the Mariners were 0.2%. So it just goes to show you the real difference. There was just about no chance of the Mariners getting the number one pick. So it was a way of trying to address the tanking, but also who really are the weakest teams in our division. However, it didn't quite go according to plan. So if you remember, the Athletics, the Royals and the Rockies all had an 18.3% chance. So roughly, what's that, 60% chance, them, 55% yeah. chance that one of them would have got the number one pick. But it went to the Guardians and the Guardians had a 2% chance wow. uh, of that occurring. And if you'll allow me, I'm not going to cover off any more than the top two, but second place went to the Reds who had a 0.9% chance. Now, the reason I mentioned those two teams, the chances of those two teams receiving the top two picks for the draft was 5,000 to 1. Um, it didn't go down too well with a lot of teams or fans because you already look at those two teams and think, do you know what? The Reds were one of the better teams last season. They were in contention until the very end. And the Guardians... Uh, just missed out on winning uh, Allen and I's division in the AL Central. They were up there. So you think that those two teams are now going to be drafting potential. Oh, I see Allen's got a glint in his eye. He's ready to say something about the Tigers. Uh, but those those two teams are now strengthening on top of strength. Um, so that's that was the draft. I know it took a little bit, a little while to explain. It's first year in practice. It's perhaps not went the way people expected, but it's it's really just trying to address teams tanking, but also making sure that the poorer teams are getting those first selections when it comes to the draft itself next summer or this summer. That's a really good explanation, uh, Dave. And uh, anyone who has done any gambling in their time will testify to uh, 
strange things can happen when you leave things to chance. And, you know, it, to me, it sounds like a, an honourable sort of way way of trying to address what was becoming a problem. And it's um, it's a bit unfortunate the way um, the balls came out of the, the hat, if that's the right analogy. You know, it sort of backfired slightly. But, um, you know, I think they may refine it next year, but I think they're possibly on the right track. Yeah, I think that's good. Really interesting. I didn't. I hadn't actually looked at the odds when I saw the list of the different teams in the up there in the pecking order. Uh, Dave, so it's quite fascinating how it worked out. That that's as Dave said. That that's how it goes. So yeah. Um, so uh, Yorkshire, Dave, as well. I'm conscious as well. You you were talking. You mentioned some Yorkshire interest in the Hall of Fame ballot. Oh yes, yeah. another ballot yeah. vote taking place just now. Yeah, there's um, not many Yorkshiremen in the MLB um, over the years, and uh, uh, I'm sort of clutching at straws here to claim this, but I remember this guy from when I first started um, watching 1987 when Channel 5 started doing their coverage, and um, Gary Sheffield. Yeah, Gary Sheffield was um, one of the one of the best players around, and outfielder uh, who played for the Marlins who won the World Series that year and um, I think this is his last chance to get voted in this year um, his, his numbers are amazing, hits 2,689 over 500 home runs and a career average of almost 300 so ordinarily yeah, you'd think he'd be a shoe in but um, I think uh, slightly tainted, I think he might have been mentioned in um, the sort of drug scandal thing, although I don't know what the situation is with that. To me, he was a great player and I'd love to see him get in there, but um, whether he does or not, we'll see. Great. Uh, good to hear. Exciting. And uh, yeah, a, a little bit of uh, White Rose excitement there for the, the Hall of Fame. So thanks for listening, folks. It's been good for us to catch up. Uh, we have Appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll be here throughout the season, and as spring training comes upon us quickly, uh, we'll we'll have we'll be having our regular chats and catch ups, and uh, we look forward to interacting with you throughout the year. So, all the best, and yeah, moo. Mm -hmm.